I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Huawei is one of the world's most controversial companies. The Chinese telecommunications giant has been making headlines the result of allegations from America that its products, ranging from smartphones to 5G technology, are part of a global network that could be used for spying by China. A months-long assault on Huawei by the Trump administration and the arrest of its founder's daughter and the company's chief financial officer in Canada on grounds of conspiracy to bust US sanctions on Iran has pummeled the firm, the pride of China's telecoms business. Washington has also attempted to press allies not to use Huawei equipment as they begin to build their own 5G networks. In May, President Trump banned American companies from selling technology to the firm on the grounds that it posed a national security risk. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, and this week we're asking, how will Huawei fight back? The company's founder and chief executive, Ren Zhongfei, is an eccentric man with a penchant for European military paintings. He's been on a charm offensive this year, figuring out how to rescue his firm and satisfy the diverging demands of political masters in China and a reactive Trump administration. My colleagues at The Economist, David Rennie, our Beijing bureau chief, and Patrick Fowles, our business affairs editor, with Stephanie Studer and Hal Hodson, met Mr. Ren recently in Huawei's headquarters in Shenzhen, China. He revealed to them that he might sell his 5G technology to Western buyers, allowing competitors to fight Huawei on a level playing field. More of that dramatic development and what it means in just a moment. But first, David, set the scene of the interview for us. So Ren Zhongfei is accused by American politicians of being a sort of sinister patsy for the Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army. But at least when it comes to his taste in architecture, uh, he does come across as a pretty authentic uh, sort of eccentric billionaire. So he is very, very keen on European classical civilization, And he has built a number of, I mean, frankly, palatial campuses in southern China, the one where we were. Uh, had a gigantic model of the White House. And in the building where we interviewed him, uh, the core of it is built uh, in what they call the Greek Hall. So you pass through sort of these uh, long echoing marble corridors with high chandeliers, uh, and you get into this room which has a serious chunk of the Acropolis uh, reproduced at one end. Uh, It has large columns on two levels. Uh, It has a stained glass ceiling. Um, It has some tapestries, uh, some very large paintings, and it had uh, although I can't explain why, a ballet dancing hippopotamus statue. And, and who wouldn't want one of those if they were so self-made successful? And, and Patrick, how did he present himself to you? Well, what did he in, look like? Into this amazing scene walk, walked Mr. Wren wearing a tangerine blazer, a wide smile, and followed by an army of uh, attendants and advisors uh, in his toe. And right opposite us, when we were doing the interview at this long dining table, was a very large 
blow-up photograph of a reenactment of the Battle of Waterloo. And in fact, I thanked him for offering us something that would make British visitors happy. Yeah, you won the battle. But Patrick, to the serious intent uh, of your interview, set the context for us, if you could, of what's going on in the background. Well, Huawei's been under attack by the Americans for for. A couple of reasons. There's the narrow one that um, some people think it's uh, a vehicle for, for Chinese espionage. And there's the broader one, which is uh, the sense that China and the company especially are, are ahead of the West in 5G technologies and need to be hobbled or restrained in some way. And that's led the US to uh, introduce a very broad range of measures against the company. But two are particularly important. First, it's been trying to persuade allies and other countries not to use Huawei at all. It's been a big diplomatic push. And then secondly, it has prohibited or restricted American tech companies from supplying stuff to Huawei. And Huawei needs uh, those components, those bits of software that are still from Silicon Valley. uh, And by restricting that, uh, the Americans hope to sort of gradually strangle the company. And trust underpins the international trade system, particularly so something so sensitive as telecoms. Has the company then been, been struggling with that? That's right. Trust is at the heart of it. And as trade has shifted from physical things like cars or fridges into much more sophisticated products that are embedded in our everyday lives, the level of trust we need to have uh, in each other seems to have risen uh, just at the time when the geopolitical system has become fractured. And when we initially asked Mr. Wren about globalization and whether the problem of trust between countries could be resolved, uh, he didn't mention America, but we did ask about the US-Chinese relationship and whether he was worried that it will influence the future of globalization. You know, the U.S. is the strongest country in the world. Uh, It was uh, the police of the world, maintaining uh, the global order. And then what they got in return was the right to issue uh, 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 U.S. dollar. If this mechanism uh, of maintaining the stability of a U.S. dollar can be kept, I think the U.S. does not stand to lose anything. But with the actions that have been taken, that actually undermines the stability of this uh, uh, system. Many people do not believe that the U.S. is still maintaining the global order. And some people do not believe that the U.S. dollar is the most reliable uh, reserve currency. When people's confidence about the U.S. and about the U.S. dollar swings, that would cause very significant impact on the U.S. itself. During 2019, this year, America's diplomats have Uh, made a big effort to persuade its allies not to use Huawei. Could could Mr. Wren talk about how successful that effort by America has been? Um, Clearly, it's focused on its core allies like Britain and Australia, but it also looks like countries like Vietnam have been put under heavy pressure not to use Huawei products. So how successful has the American boycott been? 
Whether our customers buy or don't buy from Huawei, that's a very normal business activity. Because even in the past, some customers did not buy from Huawei. And customers make their choice out of uh, uh, commercial uh, uh, considerations. When it comes to 5G, some people regarded the 5G as something dangerous that contains political element in it. I think that judgment from some people of the United States may be not right. Huawei becomes uh, the best player in 5G, I think maybe by accident. And of course, Huawei uh, is doing, I would say, much better than the other players. Huawei launched a new smartphone this week. Next week, it's announcing the fastest computing cluster in the world. What is the impression of the company inside China, David? It's much more than a tech company. It's it's really seen as a as the only kind of really very successful global company that is beating high tech Western companies at their own game. So the idea that it's under attack from the American government in this very explicit faction, you know, really kind of makes it a test of national pride. It's it's you see quite a lot of people on Chinese social media talking about how they're ditching their Apple iPhone and buying a Huawei in order to kind of fly the flag uh, for 21st century China. And Patrick, in the interview, did Mr. Ren say whether the US ban is hitting the company financially? It's certainly squeezing the company. Uh, uh, It's unable to buy some components. It's being forced to launch new phones without the full suite of apps and Google products that you would normally expect. And also some customers are being discouraged from uh, buying handsets and equipment outside of China. Right now, we still uh, feel the impact for our consumer business. We still need some time to fix the holes uh, in the consumer business. But overall, I think the picture from Mr. Ren was that the company would survive. It's got piles of spare cash on its balance sheet. And we asked him explicitly whether he thought the business might at some point make a loss. We'll not be suffering a loss. Uh, Growth will be slower. That will not be money losing. We asked Mr. Ren about the issue of trust and what radical options he might have to to rebuild trust, Um, for example, by restructuring the company or even uh, selling parts of its 5G business outside of China. Introducing foreign investors is not an option uh, we will uh, possibly consider because investors tend to be profit-centric, but for Huawei as a company, we regard our ideals uh, uh, higher than financial returns from uh, the business. But we are open to the option of transferring technology, not part of it, but the whole of it, to some Western companies or countries. So this sounds like a bit of an olive branch being offered to the West, Patrick. How significant do you reckon that is? Well, what he seemed to be saying was uh, the company's technology stack, to use the term of art, but its intellectual property, its licenses, its production know-how, its blueprints could be hived off, uh, cloned and then sold to a Western buyer who could presumably use it, uh, say in the US where uh, Huawei is not present at the moment and then do whatever it it liked afterwards. So technically and legally, I think it is uh, entirely feasible. And we've seen 
previous examples of uh, tech companies buying these kind of portfolios of patents before. So, for example, Microsoft bought a lot of uh, Nokia's uh, intellectual property a few years ago. So it has been done. The key question really is just the practical difficulties of uh, hiving off all of this uh, uh, sort of intellectual property. Uh, a buyer would have to be comfortable. The Americans are relaxed about it. You'd have to be sure there really are no backdoors in the software. And then lastly, uh, certainly outside of America, a future buyer might have the scary prospect of having to compete with Huawei uh, itself in in a, a sort of third territory, for example, in Africa or parts of Asia, which would also be quite a daunting prospect. So conceptually, it works. Practically, there's lots of hurdles. And David, how do Mr. N's advisors around the table react to this offer? And is it feasible? Well, as Patrick says, there's technical problems. There's also political problems. I mean, in a, in a sense, what he's doing is trying to cut through this kind of Gordian knot that the politicians on both sides uh, can't sort of untangle, which is how do you cope with uh, two countries that are trading with each other in these very sensitive technologies, America and China, when they don't really trust each other politically and ideologically. So he's essentially saying, if you don't trust China to make your 5G network, fine, you make it. I'll sell you whatever I've developed so far and you go off and compete with me. So that's quite a neat kind of political solution to this conundrum. It's interesting that when we asked him about some of the kind of the real details, I mean, the obvious one being, how much would you expect to be paid for this? Uh, Stephanie Studer said, what's a ballpark figure? Some of his long-standing advisors sitting at this long table, they kind of winced and laughed at the same time as if to say, oh my, you know, you know, the big guy's been throwing this sort of interesting idea around and now we're already into kind of numbers, you know, where did this come from? Did you put a ballpark figure, Mr. Wren, on um, how much this, uh, this sale would, um, would, would cost? <laughs> I don't have a number uh, uh, right now um, uh, uh, on my mind because you just raised this, this option, right? So it's not uh, the time to really talk about numbers no. right now. And in another example of a detail, we asked him which American companies might buy the licenses. You know, nobody has ever approached me to talk about this possibility, so I do not have a clear idea regarding who might be the right many, candidates. Many people in Silicon Valley and, and uh, in America will read this article, so um, this is the, the chance to explain to them the plan. That could help to balance the situation or smoothen out the situation. But to ask a serious, so uh, both uh, Mr. Files and I, we were based in America for many years. So we, we and more than half of our readers live in America. So if you are telling the American political world and the business world that you understand trust is a very important question, some American politicians, they really, they say, you know, I'm not interested in hearing about this piece of Huawei technology or that piece of Huawei technology. They have a bigger problem. Why would you let a Chinese company build something as sensitive as 5G? So the political problem that you have in America is very, very hard to solve. So could you just explain a little bit more how big a transfer 
Could you imagine how big a solution are you thinking about to solve this problem? How radical a, a transfer of 5G technology? I'm talking about uh, this um, complete transfer of all the related technologies and the production techniques. After the partners uh, get the technology, they can modify the software code, after which Huawei will have no access or anyone else will have uh, access. It's like a standalone or separate 5G. There would be no security issues. The only matter for the U.S. Uh, uh, administration is to well manage the partners or the companies who take those transferred uh, technology. So I'm not talking about a Huawei selling 5G in the U.S. market. I'm talking about the partners who get the transferred technology selling uh, 5G in uh, the United States or partners in the U.K. selling 5G uh, in, in, in the British market. Is Mr. Ren refreshing among prominent Chinese business leaders in being so frank? And indeed, what's been the, the response to the interview? I gather the transcript has gone pretty virally in China. That's right. The, the Chinese language version of this transcript is still trending, you know, almost a week later on social media here in China. I mean, there are some very big stars like uh, Jack Ma, you know, of Chinese business, but it's not like America where we're used to seeing kind of billionaires talking about politics and world affairs. It's not that environment at all. And, you know, Mr. Ren himself, he was very careful at a couple of points to say that, you know, when it came to questions of the US-China kind of diplomatic relationship, that was nothing to do with him. So even someone as wealthy and powerful and very self-confident as Ren Zhangfei, he knows there are lines uh, involving politics and kind of state affairs that you don't cross. But you did ask him a bit more broadly on a couple of issues, didn't you? He obviously didn't particularly want to engage that foreign policy level, but you did talk about academic freedom. So he's keen not to talk about foreign policy, but it seemed worth asking him one of the big questions that everyone has about Chinese tech, which is, can you have real innovation uh, in a one-party state which censors the internet? And he was reasonably willing to engage in that. The foundation of innovation is academic freedom. Therefore, freedom of having all different sorts of academic ideas and the freedom to learn whatever you want is very important. Undoubtedly, the U.S. is the place that is the most innovative in the world. Because of our internet, people's minds was freed up. Uh, a lot of the things that people would have access to. Particular uh, uh, books on science and uh, engineering that do not carry any ideological uh, 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 connotation. So that can be published and made available to everyone in the world. The um, various source of a 5G technology we see today is a mathematical uh, uh, paper published by a Turkish professor uh, called Professor Erdo Arika. Only two months after that paper was published, uh, Huawei employees saw that one uh, on the internet, and Huawei subsequently put in enormous resources and efforts to translate that very paper into the 5G standards that we see today. China still has a very inclusive environment when it comes to science and technology. 
On top of that, within Huawei, we have uh, a large number of scientists coming from countries outside of China. So we are trying to gather the nutrition of the times we are in as we move forward. But can I ask, clearly on the internet you can see scientific papers, but there are also large parts of the global internet that talk about politics, uh, that talk about history, uh, that are not available inside China uh, to most people because the Chinese government closes that off. You have built this beautiful comp uh, campus in Dongguan full of beautiful European buildings. Do you also make sure that your designers and your researchers uh, have VPNs so they can see uh, foreign news or uh, foreign politics to, to look at big important questions uh, that are not available to Chinese people? If all Huawei engineers um, turn out to be politicians, Huawei as a company would probably collapse. Engineers should focus on developing and building good products instead of uh, 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 minding about politics. For example, if our engineers uh, go out on the street uh, for demonstration, <laughs> who's going to pay them? So he's not a dissident. You know, this is not someone who's going to openly criticize the one-party system, but he is making it clear that he wants his people to concentrate on their jobs and not have to get it dragged into politics. And even that, in today's China, is a bit of a political statement because there's such pressure on private business to study Xi Jinping thought and to embrace the sort of the leadership of the Communist Party in all spheres. And his hints of impatience about that, I think, do give you a glimpse into how the private sector elites do talk among themselves. And he's got the confidence to say a bit of it in public. The Hong Kong protests, obviously, happening at the, the same time. Did you go there? I did. So I asked him whether it was very unhelpful for his case that as a private company, he didn't have to obey the Communist Party's instructions, that you see a, a private foreign company, uh, the airline Cathay Pacific, actually forced to sack some of its top leaders for reasons that are basically completely political uh, to do with their employees supporting the protests in Hong Kong. And there, I think he gave us a glimpse of the kind of the party line proposed by the kind of the, the elites of China. And the party line right now is to blame the oligarchs of Hong Kong for being too greedy and for causing discontent in these protests. Therefore, what needs to be reflected from the situation in Hong Kong is a possible failure of a capitalism while the uh, monopoly capitalism gets too much money while the general public does not benefit the widening gap between the rich and rich and the, 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 the poor um, is the prelude of a, a revolution. The Chinese government has uh, taken a lot of uh, efforts to manage and control uh, the gap between the rich, rich and the poor. Over the recent couple of years, I personally traveled uh, along several uh, uh, provinces along uh, the uh, uh, national uh, border, Xinjiang, Tibet, Yunnan, for example. The living standards of the people there have improved very substantially. And just wonder why it cannot be open to foreign journalists to go there and take a look. It's even more stable than in Xinjiang. Uh, foreign journalists can go there and see with their own eyes 
They will sure. be able to tell what is the real truth. Sure, well, now, uh, uh, journalists from Geneva, they are allowed to visit Xinjiang to look at the situation sure, there. And I think there should be more foreign journalists sure, well, to go go uh, I've been to those uh, uh, places, Yunnan, Guizhou, Xinjiang, Tibet, and uh, many of them are poor places. And uh, I believe, based on what I see, uh, color revolution would not happen in China because uh, the plural people, they have uh, very decent living standards. They will not really go out and cause social unrest. Can I ask just one very last quick question about politics? So many interviewers have asked you uh, about your daughter, uh, Mangwanjo, in Canada. But there are also two Canadian citizens uh, currently being detained in China. And the Chinese foreign ministry has said that their detention should be a lesson to the Canadian government. And we know because the Canadian embassy says that these two Canadian uh, deten detainees, one of whom is a former diplomat, uh, they are not allowed to see their family. They're not allowed to make any phone calls. They have not spoken to anyone except uh, some Canadian diplomats. Uh, they were allowed a book and then they had their glasses taken away so they can't read a book. I'm sure that people have described this situation to you. Do you think that uh, the conditions of these two Canadian detainees, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavel, do you think that those are appropriate conditions or do you think that the Chinese government uh, should give them access to a lawyer? They have no access to a lawyer and access to their families because your daughter has access to a lawyer and access to her family and can travel around uh, Vancouver. But they are locked up uh, in an unknown location with no access to lawyers. What, what do you think of the conditions of the detention of the two Canadian citizens? Um, I actually don't know specifics about uh, these two individuals. This, is a rela this relates to how the country really approaches this matter, and I do not have a knowledge myself. Regarding the case of uh, Meng Wanzhou, he, uh, she has not committed any crime. Detaining her or arresting her in the first place was wrong. And now, at this point of the time, we will rely on the legal procedures, rely on the court, uh, to address it. Um, uh, regarding those two Canadian individuals, uh, no one has ever described the situation to me. I do not need and I do not have channel to know what's going on in those two uh, cases. Patrick, if we step back and take a, a Western business perspective, how autonomous is Mr. Rensing as being from the Chinese government? I think most informed observers understand that this is a big uh, business that has been built essentially by by Mr. Ren and some of his fellow travelers rather than by uh, the state in China. But nonetheless, the caveats are that it relies on relationships with some uh, big state-owned enterprises in China. So, for example, bank financing sometimes of its customers. And secondly, as David mentioned, that no big Chinese, powerful Chinese company really can be immune from uh, government pressure uh, at the end of the day. And it's that, it's that sense that ultimately the party can call the shots that is, is there. And clearly a vastly energetic character, 75 years old uh, next month. You raised the question, how tactful of you of his retirement? 
Well, interestingly, while we were there, Jack Ma, uh, the boss of Alibaba, the other great uh, Chinese technology company, the other giant of the industry there, uh, announced that he was retiring uh, formally and, and, and stepped down. So, of course, it seemed an appropriate moment uh, to, to ask Mr. Ren about his prospects. But when we asked him, he rather neatly sidestepped the question with a joke. <laughs> If you push an earlier retirement for me, maybe I would go retired. And then I will become your assistant. <laughs> and then that would make uh, uh, your interview with me much easier. He offered another joke as we were saying our goodbyes. He said, uh, if we want to know whether Huawei will survive, then we should come back next year and uh, see if he's still there. Thank you very much for, for your time. <laughs> You've been uh, very uh, generous with your time and, and with your answers. So you might be back among the marble columns to catch up in 12 months or so. Thank you, David Rennie and Patrick Fowles. And we'd love to know what you think of Huawei's new bid to open up its 5G production know-how to Western competitors. How freely can Chinese companies operate from state control? Write to us, radio at economist.com, or tweet us at Economist Radio. Please take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like what we do, we'd love it if you subscribed. Economist.com slash radio offer, 12 issues for £12 or $12, whichever phone you're listening on. I'm Anne McElvoy, and in London and Shenzhen, this is The Economist. <laughs>